is good to have you guys. If you guys are at home watching with us, a, uh, this is not a pre-recording. This is a live service. You know, you're thinking like, what? How come I wasn't told about this? Uh, we wanted to do a live service with only our leaders first to make sure that we could actually comply to all the rules and that we can actually do it right. If we can't do it right, then to bring all you guys back with, with a be big trouble. So we wanted to try that first and maybe one or two weeks and then we'll be able to open this up for the whole community to come back and uh, do this service with us. I miss you guys so much, right? Everyone at home, everyone here says God is good? All the time. All the time? God is good. God is good. Hey, we are, I'm excited. I'm excited for today just being here with the community and all of you guys and Ready to preach the word. I've been gone for four weeks from preaching. If you guys have not noticed, um, Evan and uh, Pastor Lynn has a. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Evan and Pastor Lynn has graciously uh, wanted me to rest during this time. Uh, it was very difficult for me. It was not an easy rest, but I, he wanted, they wanted me to rest uh, while they take over the heart of preaching for us. Uh, and I hope that you guys have enjoyed it. They have been doing an amazing job through that, but I'm back, and I'm, I'm glad, and, I'm, and I can't wait to share God's word to you guys. Uh, let's, get, let's get started with a prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll do this, all right? Father, I thank you, God, for the life that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you so much for this community and this body that we have, and I'm just so, Lord, thankful for my brothers, my sisters here as we gather to worship you and to give you praise because, Lord, in the midst of everything, only you deserve worship and only you, Lord, still deserve praise. And so we come here as people to surrender to your truth, your word, Father God, to gather together as a family, as a community, as a body, to love and to exercise the beauty of love to one another. And I pray that through our journey together, Lord, we will be faithful to, as witnesses to your kingdom's cause. We thank you so much. We praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. I was told to preach up here because that was supposed to be splash zone down there, so I can't, I can't preach too close. They're afraid that I might, <laughs> I might get crazy and start spitting or something. <laughs> uh, so I'm preaching from up here for now. Uh, and before we get started, I want to say thank you. I had not had a chance to say thank you. It's only been four weeks ago, right, but it feels like a year, right, uh, where uh, my wife and I, we received an amazing gift from, our, from, your, from us, from you guys, from the community of, of, our, of our church. And, you know, as I, as, as I was looking at the gift and I was looking at the card, um, man, the thing that kept coming through my mind is, who are, the, who are the wins? This wins, not the other wins. Okay, who are the wins that, that, we, would, that we would be so um, worthy of such a beautiful gift, right? And such a, such a kind and generous gift. Because to be honest with you guys, a lot of times when I think about our church, I think about only usually all the times we failed, all the times I failed, and all the times... I never show up to certain meetings or certain people, and all the times we've lost people because of the stupid things we do. And to see that uh, uh, in the midst of all of that, the community and our family, the church family, uh, was so generous and so kind. I was very touched by that, and I was very blessed by that. So I know my face didn't really show it or at all, uh, but inside, inside it's like, woo, you know? The little Tony inside is like, yay, you know? So thank you guys so much for that. I appreciate it. I love you guys. I, I am grateful, very grateful for it. Um, but speaking of family, we are in a, we're starting a small series called When the Church Was a Family. I actually originally wrote this series in regards to kind of you know, like when COVID was finally over, this whole deal is behind us. We can gather back together because we've been forced to be apart. We can gather back together. And I really wanted to initiate the, the picture of what a family, of, a church family looks like, right? And that, that, was, that was the mindset of it going into this. But as we have seen, it is only June of 2020, and this year is nonstop excitement, right? Nonstop excitement. And there's so much to speak about, so much to talk about, and so much to deal with, and especially with the church family. And I really want to pray that this, this season, as we get into this small series, is to really get to the idea, what does the church family supposed to look like? What drives us? What is, what, what, how, do, how does love look like in this community? And what keeps us together, right? And, and that's going to be the heart of this series, uh, coming back. Um, but one of the markers, which I'm going to be talking about today, one of the markers of what makes a church a family, right? When a church is a family, when God's family, the question is this, who is the ultimate mediator and arbitrator of our discussions, of our um, differences, of our um, 
of our disagreements? Who is the ultimate arbitrator of that? And one of the things that we have to recognize that if we say that Jesus is our Savior and our Lord, then the word of God and his voice is the ultimate arbitrator of truth. That he is the mediator of all of our agreements. What we need to begin to recognize as a community, as a body, that if I say I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, then the word of God is where I turn to to reconcile my disagreements, to reconcile my mind, to zone me back into and transform me and continually change me to go back on the road that God has for us towards good. It is the word of God that is sufficient. So I know a lot of us at home, you may be thinking, you know, the word of God seems so archaic, PT. The word of God seems so backwards. But what you don't realize now, what I've learned actually over this past week or so dealing with um, a whole racial injustice conversation that we've been having in our, in our nation is that the word of God is actually very sufficient if we would take the time to learn and read it. And most of the time when we uh, simply say the word of God is too outdated, it doesn't really speak into this time, it's because we probably have not done our homework in knowing how to read this word, right? And so today what I want to share with you guys is this. When it comes to any situation Within the church family, and I'm only sharing this within the church community, church body, if you call yourself a, a brother and sister of this community, if you call yourself a son and daughter of God, this, this message is for you, right? There's a distinct and penetrating perspective that this word gives to God's children. There's a, there's a way that when we begin to read it, it begins to penetrate and gives us a way to move forward into this life. See, if we allow for the gospel to penetrate and bear into our lives. If we allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to penetrate and bear into our lives, what begins to happen is, naturally, is that our conversations and our narrative bears the gospel into this world, okay? When we begin to take the gospel and bear it into our lives, allowing for it to change us, not just regurgitating it, not just saying a bunch of stuff about it, but allowing for the gospel to bear witness into our hearts, our lives, our minds, then what naturally comes about is our lives begins to bear the gospel's narrative to the world around us. And this is so important. You know why this is so important? Because, one, it changes your heart. It changes your heart in the way you deal with people, in the way you deal with yourself, in the way you think, in the way you feel. And secondly, and one, only when your heart is changed will you be free to bring about real God-saving change to the world around you. When your heart begins to be changed by the gospel, then you are able to actually bring long, sustaining solution and change to the world around you. Okay? We're in a very crazy narrative in our conversation in our, in our nation today about race and everything. But the thing I want us to get through, before, I, before we start talking about which side are we on or which point is right or, or, or where do we stand, the point that I need you guys to understand to, to, to get into your heart is this. You got to let the gospel bear witness to your soul first. And when the gospel bears witness to your soul, then you will see naturally another way to move forward with the gospel. Then you will see that there's another way to move forward that is sustaining and powerful and life-giving with the gospel. As Christian, as a believer, my hope and my prayer as a pastor is that this becomes your reality. The gospel bearing witness to your soul and you bearing witness the gospel to this world around you. All right? So I got three points for you guys today. Three points. Uh, I'll try to not preach too long. I haven't preached for a while, so it might go too long. Okay? If I see you nodding off, then um, I'll know. Okay? But anyways, three points today. First point is the sin of self-righteousness. Right? It's revealing the sin of self-righteousness. The heart of racism, as we, we're going to have this conversation, the heart of racism is the sin of self-righteousness. And if you can actually recognize that, then you're in a place of actual healing. Sin of self-righteousness. And then secondly, we're going to see how Paul, in the letter, helps Peter deal with this sin. And then thirdly, we're going to see how we, can able, how we are able to do this. Okay? We're going to see first the heart of racism, which is the sin of self-righteousness. How the Bible shows us how to be free from it. And thirdly, how we have the power to do so. You guys follow? Yeah? And you guys look good. It's, I've been preaching to a camera for four weeks straight to see a ministry and 
Word of the Week, which I know you guys love watching so much, so much, right? Uh, and it's so good to actually preach the faces. I'm, I'm so glad you guys are here. Uh, so let's get started. Uh, the intro is, is from Galatians chapter 2. If you guys have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 2, from 11 to 17. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. Let me give you just a quick background on this uh, letter. Paul writes this letter to, a, to the churches in the region called Galatia, okay? He founded this church. He taught them the gospel. They loved it. They prospered. They grew from the gospel, from the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, and all the implications that come from that. He preached this gospel to this church. And then, after a while, guess what? The church changed the gospel. They said, yes, Jesus and something else. Jesus and something it was actually not just bad teaching, it was heretical teaching. It's not just like mistakes. These are mistakes that can actually cost salvation. And you know the funny thing about Paul was when he talked to this church? Do you think, side note, do you think that when he spoke to this church, a church that was actually preaching the wrong message, did you t do you think he told the church members, hey, you got to get out of there. That teacher, that preacher that you have, he's preaching the wrong message. You got to get out of there. You got to leave that place. Did he tell them that? No. You know what he said? He said, you got to get back. Back to where you came from. Back to the gospel. Back to Jesus. You got to bring it back. Right? How often in, in our community nowadays that when someone preaches or someone comes to a church and they didn't like the message, they say, I got to leave that community because the message was kind of bad. You think what, that's what Paul's um, recommendation was to his church people? No. He told them, Get back to the gospel. Go back to the message of Christ in you. Come alongside Jesus' storyline and live that out. He didn't tell them to leave the church. He didn't tell them to run away. He didn't tell them to, to uh, leave the community and walk away from the family. He said, work with it. Bring the gospel back if you know. Bring the message of Jesus back into the community. And so that's what, G what Paul was doing here. He was writing this letter to remind them and telling them, hey, what you're listening to is the wrong message. You're all going to be damned if you keep um, following after this message. Go back to the gospel. And we are going to read an incident, right, an incident where Peter, where Peter struggled with the sin of self-righteousness, the sin of racism, actually, racial pride, okay, where he really began to use his race, his, his race as a way of excluding other people, okay. So open your Bibles, Galatians chapter 2. Verses 11 to 13. Galatians chapter 2, verses, we're going to start there first. So when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is Paul speaking. Because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by the hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray, okay? The sin of self-righteousness here, I want you guys to understand this because when you understand the sin of self-righteousness, then you're going to allow for the gospel to bear witness to that sin in your heart and hopefully and prayerfully, you can actually live out the gospel to the world around you, okay? The origin of Peter's action. So, so what's the problem here? So he was eating, and then he left a bunch of people, and he left and he ate with someone else, right? The, the root of Peter's problem was his Jewish culture and heritage. The origin of Peter's action belonged to his culture and his heritage. You know what the culture and heritage was? The Jewish people knew something. They knew something very specific. They were God's chosen people. Specifically, it says in the Bible, they were God's chosen people. Out of all the nations in the world that God could have chose from and used for his glory, he chose the Jewish nation. He chose the Jewish people. For what purpose? He chose them, okay, for them to live out his truth, his laws, in such a way that it will draw all nations to God. He chose them and says, you are going to be my privileged people, Right? In such a way that in your privilege, you are going to live my truth and my laws out, that it will draw all nations to me and heal the world. However, what happened? What do we, what, what do we know? 
instead of using their position as God's chosen people to be a blessing to the world, they got prideful because they thought what? We're God's chosen people, right? We're God's chosen community and nation. They used their, quote, unquote, if I dare say it, privilege and their position as a way to exclude all the other nation. So basically, if you're not a Jew, you were called a Gentile. You were called a Gentile. And the Jews thought the Gentiles were so off and so wrong and so impure because they weren't God's chosen people that they even called them dogs. It was a kind of like a slur name that Jewish people gave to Gentiles. So guess what? We are all Gentiles, unless you're Jewish somewhere in there, right? Unless you're Jewish, you're all Gentiles. And the Jews really believed that the Gentiles were unclean. And the Jews were clean because they have God's law to make them clean, right? So the Jews associated with the Gentiles. They had to do business with them, but they never actually tolerated the Gentiles. The Jews accepted the existence of them, but the Jews never accepted them. Instead of using their position as God's chosen people to be a healing and a light and a, and a blessing to the world, they used their position as a way to make themselves feel superior to the world. You guys follow me? Right? And that was Peter's heritage. That was Peter's issue. That was Peter's, it's a good word, systemic problem right, in his time. So here's the thing. If that was the case, then why was he eating with people in Antioch, right? Why was he chilling with them? Look, before, verse 12, before certain men came from James, which is a, a church in Jerusalem. James was the pastor. James happens to be Jesus' half-brother. He was the pastor of church in Jerusalem, full of Jews. Before those guys came, Peter used to eat with Gentiles. He used to hang out with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself. So why was, if Peter, if that was his heritage, then why did he break the boundaries? Why did he break the line? Why did he hang out with the Gentiles, even though his cultural heritage did this? But you know why? Because God broke through into his life. In Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11, Paul saw three visions. God gave him three visions of like, you know, you guys remember the story? Like there's a big old blanket that fell down and a bunch of animals showed up and Peter was like, God, I can't eat that. That's unclean. And God was like, no, Peter, do not call what is unclean that I have made clean. Right? And he said, I'm going to give you a vision. He gave a vision to some people going to come to you. When they come to you, go with them. And he gave the person who called those people to come to see Peter, Cornelius, a Gentile, a vision saying, go find Peter. He will share with you my message. And so Cornelius, a Gentile um, uh, person, calls Peter in, Peter walks over there, right, he follows, following all these visions, he follows, and then at the doorstep of Cornelius, this Gentile, having all of this racial pride baggage on his shoulder, he looks in here, and Cornelius came out, and he said, man, God has given me a vision to call you, and this is what Peter said, Peter said, now I know, now I know that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear and do what is right. God gave Peter the vision through his word. He said, look, Peter, you got to go back to my original plan. Your, my plan was to bring people together, not to exclude people, not to divide people, not to create this boundary among people. My plan was to bring people together. Peter, get it straight. And so Peter says, now I get it. As the gospel is beginning to kind of move in his heart, now I get it. And what does he do? He steps into the house, which was unheard of, unheard of in that time, right, for a Jew to step into the house of a Gentile to do that. But guess what? Old habits die hard, right? Old habits die hard. So even now, even though God gave him three visions, if God gave you three visions, you should, like, at least continuously obey. But not Peter, because Peter's hard-headed like a lot of us, Right? God gave Peter three visions. He didn't obey old habits that hard. So the moment a bunch of Jewish brethren who have the exact same racial background, racial pride coming in, what did Peter do? He said, I don't want them to think bad of me, so I'm just going to exclude myself and not eat with the Gentiles anymore from the church in Antioch. I'm not going to eat with them. I'm going to not associate with them anymore. Some of you guys are thinking, like, man, I don't, uh, I don't understand why that happened. Why did Peter do that? Actually, you understand it better than you think, right? Imagine this, okay? Um, 
for those of you guys who uh, have Vietnamese parents, right? Imagine your parents or your grandparents invited a known communist into your home. Just a known communist. What do you think will happen to your family at that moment? You will have, regardless of COVID, the whole entire Vietnamese community go out there and boycott your house, right? If you did that. You know why? Because there's a lot of tension there. Always. So because of that fear, we don't do that. Forget reconciliation. Forget bringing people together. Forget what the gospel says. We don't do that. Let's just keep ourselves excluded. See, Peter's action was so bad. This is how bad it was. It, it was so contrary to the gospel, so contrary to the message that Jesus was putting out there, that it led even Barnabas. Now, this is why Paul was like, he, he, he emphasized verse 13, that even Barnabas was led astray. You know who Barnabas was? When Paul, the Christian killer, came to know Jesus, he came back to the church and he says, guys, I believe in Jesus now. I know I killed y'all a while and put y'all in prison, but I'm for you now, right? Nobody believed him. Nobody gave him a chance. Nobody said, okay, Paul, woohoo, right? Only one person, only one person who had the heart stepped in and said, I'll give you a chance, Paul. Without, who, who do you think that person was? Barnabas. Barnabas did. But even here, the most encouraging man in the, in the gospel at that time, in the letters of time, the most encouraging one, even he was led astray to do what? Use his racial pride and baggage to act the same way. You see that? Sin, the sin of self-righteousness here, what it does is it creates an exclusive social behavior. And it's not about one group being the oppressor, one group being the oppressee, right? It's not that way. It's not, it's not that one group is better than the other group. Actually, it creates two exclusive groups that both struggle with self-righteousness. And this is what I want you guys to understand in, in, in the way as we are listening to this. I need you to understand, right, that when we begin to engage in conversation, when self-righteousness kicks in, what you are doing is you're not creating two separate groups, one is right, one is wrong. You're creating two self-righteous groups that will constantly fight with each other. I'll give you some examples. Culture, right? We have culture that's self-righteous with one another. When I was in college, um, I'm not sure if this is true or not, so if you guys can fact check me, but this is what I was told. When I was in college, I, did mis- I, I was in Korea to kind of like unlearn the history of Korea, and we went to one of these museums about the, the Japanese occupation in Korea, and one of the things that they, uh, the, two, uh, the two cultures really hated, they, they, apparently they hated each other uh, there, and the thing that they, they, they did with one another is one culture uh, picks up their bowl of rice to eat, the other culture keeps the bowl of rice down and eats it like this, right? So one culture would demean the other culture by saying, only common man would use their hands to hold the bowl, right? And so that's pretty, like, you know, self-righteous, like, you know, saying that, well, I'm not common man. Our culture is not common. Our culture is superior to yours. That's why we don't hold the bowl. And then the other culture stepped back and said, what? Only slaves bow their heads to eat, right? And so what do you think? Both sides are just at each other trying to find more self-righteousness here, right? Or self-righteousness creates um, exclusive social behavior in terms of talent and untalented. Those people who have talent, they say, well, you know, we're pretty good about this. You know, we, we have this ability to do these things. Those who are untalented, right, those who are talented have this kind of sense of self-righteousness because they have this gift. Those who are untalented said, well, well, well we work harder, Right? You have talent, but talent means nothing if work is not there, right? Work beats talent every time, right? Every single thing. You you see this kind of constant back and forth of this issue of self-righteousness because at the sin of division, at the sin of this kind of racial boundary is what? Self-righteousness. We got the the wealthier class, the white-collar versus like the blue-collar working class. uh, White-collar wealthier class would say, well, we don't need to... um, Resort to violence to solve our issues. We can talk about this. We can deal with this. We can use our words. We have more poise. Blue-collar working class says, well, we get things done. Y'all talk too much. You jabbers, right? Both sides still exercising self-righteousness. It's not one side is better than the other side. Both sides still exercising what? Self-righteousness. 
It's this idea that somehow I will make myself feel superior to you. That no matter what you say, I will try to recounter that in a such a way that I will make myself feel even more superior to you. As you make me feel inferior, I will counter to make you feel inferior. You guys get me? The sin of self-righteousness? Take it to a modern-day example. Our conversation and narrative that we have going on in our nation today, right? In the world, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on social media, the narrative that's been going on, the conversations that's been happening, what you begin to see, whether if you're, if you're a student that's starting to see it, is you're beginning to see a divide in conversations. You begin to see this kind of a, a, a social divide in the way people are engaging the topic, right? On one side, you see what? You see a very defensive group denying the magnitude of the race issue that we may be having in America at this time. And not only are they denying the magnitude of the problem in the country, they're making fun of everyone who speaks strongly about it, calling them what? Especially in the church. Calling them what? Too woke. Man, y'all's too woke, right? You're way too sensitive, you know? You get a little slap and you get all crazy about it. You're way too emotional, right? Why are you acting so dramatic? You're way too easily manipulated. You're way too trendy. Are you just doing this for the gram? What are you doing it for? Right? Step back a little bit. Have some perspective. So on one side, the, the, the implication here is what? We are more informed. We're not as easily moved. We're not emotional like you. Are they being, is, is this a fair-minded conversation? It may start off fair-minded, but you know what happens? It rises to the level of, Ultimately, I see this better than you. I'm somehow more informed and superior. And if you think you're woke, I am way more woke than you. All right? And on the other side, on the other side, on the conversation, you have voices who are speaking out about racial injustice passionately. Right? But these voices are just as self-righteous. These voices are just as demeaning to people in their approach. Why? You're not informed? Would you like me to inform you or would you like to go inform yourself? Right? What's the implication? I know the information. You don't. Let me give it to you. Or you haven't read as much about this topic as you. you your, your social bubble is very limited. Let me expand it for you. You're part of the problem. Why don't you try to be part of the solution? You're not speaking up. You're not signaling. You're not showing your camaraderie. It's because you don't care. And so what we see here, what starts off as fair and loving and passionate, rises ultimate to a level of self-righteousness. Right? Because on some level, what you're saying is, I feel superior in this time setting than to you. And so what we have is, we don't have fair conversation. What we have is a division of who is more self-righteous. And if you are, if you've been living under a rock and you've been seeing people pose, what, you're, what you always see is a conversation, it usually starts something like this. I usually don't write about this stuff, but I feel impelled to do so. So let me write it. And to, as they begin to speak, it begins to sound very sweet, very care, very fair-minded as expressing themselves to be able to see both sides of the problem. But as they express whatever opinion they have, the comment section kicks in, right? And oh man, those comments, everyone should just mute their comment section. It just gets crazy. Comment section kicks in and this sweet, fair-minded conversation begins to delineate into this very ugly battle for who is more right. You guys follow me? That's the problem. That's the problem. The sin of self-righteousness is in all of us. And can I give you a pastor's confession? Pastor's confession, right? I am guilty, I am so guilty of being the former, right, calling everyone woke. I am, I, I'm not trying to say this in a way that's like, you know, making fun. I am really guilty of this. I would have conversation with people. I didn't, I didn't, I did, I made the mistake of not allowing for the gospel to penetrate my heart first before I bear witness to its words. And I kind of jumped to an answer because people asked me for it, you know. And in my, and in my answers, I felt like I won the conversation but I didn't feel like I actually won anything. I left the conversation feeling more empty than before. Because all I know what I've done is that I've just prom provoked their spirit of self-righteousness. 
to come back a couple of days, or if they don't want to come back, they'll just mute me and ghost me and cancel me, right? But if they do come back, right, it is to provoke me again, to kind of outbattle each other. You guys follow me? And I'm just as guilty of this problem. And as I begin to kind of meditate and think about this, and, I, and it led me to this passage, how do we overcome that? How do Christians, part of God's family, given a unique gospel, a penetrating gospel that is actually sustainable to bring real change, how do we actually bring about life-changing solutions here? How did Paul do it to Peter? You guys ready? This is a crazy period. How did Paul strip Peter of his self-righteousness? How did Paul go about stripping Peter of his self-righteousness? Look at verse 14 and 19. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you will force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, but because of observing the law, no one will be justified. Paul's rebuke to Peter was not to shame Peter. It was not to give Peter guilt for being a hypocrite. I think a lot of us would do that in the church. It says, you freaking hypocrite, right? How dare you? Paul didn't say any of those words. His rebuke to Peter was this. You forgot your why. You forgot your gospel. You forgot to go deeper into the message that was given to you. What is Paul saying here? Verse 14. Paul's telling Peter, how are you possibly having fellowship, hanging out with certain people based only by their race, based only by their culture? How can you, Peter, be possibly doing this when you know full well that God did not bring you into fellowship with him based upon your race and your culture? He didn't bring you to be part of his family because you did something good or you belong to a certain pedigree or you belong to a certain skin color or a certain culture. He brought you into his family because of grace. He brought you into his family because of grace. So how could you at this moment forget that? Peter, you messed up. You messed up because you have forgotten your gospel. You have forgotten the good news of Jesus Christ in your life. Paul is telling Peter this. This whole self-righteous thing you're doing, right, is you're just going backwards. You're, you're trying to make yourself look good by your pedigree. You're trying to find some sort of worth and value to make yourself feel more righteous. But your righteousness is not by what you can create. Your righteousness is because of what he has done for you. Paul's thing to Peter was this. He didn't tell Peter, hey, Peter, repent of racism. Repent of your racial pride. You know what he told Peter? He said, Peter, repent of the deeper-rooted problem. What is that? Forgetting your gracious welcome by God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You've forgotten the object of your faith. You're turning to your your intellect, your pedigree, you're turning to what you know, your passion to justify your actions, to give you a sense of worth and value. You've forgotten, Peter, that you are loved. And do you know what, why is Paul's way of doing this was effective? Instead of using shame, guilt, instead of muting or canceling, instead of walking away, you know why this is effective? Because what is Paul doing? Paul is critiquing Peter by reminding Peter of his dignity. Paul is critiquing Peter at the same time he reminds Peter of Peter's value. Don't you remember who you were? You were a sinner who needed salvation. You were someone who could not save yourself. That's who we were and who we are. But Jesus Christ gives us his value by his life, his death, and his resurrection. Remember that you have value, not because of your pedigree, but because of Christ. So as he critiques Peter, 
for an obvious sin, he is lifting Peter up in his dignity. And when we do that, when we do that, we break down and we strip ourselves of the self-righteousness and we have a way forward. See, the problem here, guys, listen, problem here, guy, uh, is this. When you motivate people by shaming, by guilting, by canceling, by muting, by ghosting, you know what's happening? You kick in your sense of self-righteousness. They sense your self-righteousness. And what happens? You turn on their defense mechanism of self-righteousness. And all you're doing is you're going back and forth. You don't, under, you don't get this? If you're, if you're a couple, you understand this. Okay? If, you're, if, you're, if you're married to somebody or you're in a relationship with somebody, you understand it. When you get in a fight, right? When you get into a fight, you know this happens naturally. One person will say something, right? You don't listen to me enough. Well, you don't pay attention to me enough. Well, if you were around more, I'll pay attention to you. Well, if you weren't so naggy, I'll be around more, right? And so what happens is you get this constant battle for superiority. Because in our heart of hearts, guys, here's the thing. We're searching for glory. Everyone's searching for glory because we lost it in the time of Adam and Eve. Sin creeped into the world and we've lost our glory. And we are constantly fighting for glory. And all we've been doing is seeking for vain glory as we battle each other, right? Vain glory as we go back and forth with one another. And yet Jesus Christ comes in and he says, let me give you my glory. Let me remind you of who you were, that you are a sinner saved by grace. So how could you look at another brother and another sister and think that you're better than them when you are a sinner saved by grace? You guys follow me? The sin of self-righteousness is so penetrating that oftentimes we don't see it. And the only way to strip us of our self-righteousness is you let the gospel bear witness into your heart. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you guys this. I'm not telling you guys just to hear this and kind of like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's a good, you know, you know um, step to take. I'm telling you, let the gospel bear witness to your soul. Let it begin to change the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act. Mold your whole life around this truth. And when you do so, what comes out naturally is a narrative that is full of gospel grace. That, that is full of the life-giving, life-sustaining power that God has for the world around us. That, the, 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 the power of restoring God's kingdom that comes forth from it. If you let the gospel bear witness to your heart. So what do we do? How do we do this? Okay, a couple applications. A couple applications. First, how you guys feeling? You guys hot? You guys hot? You guys not, not? I'm a little hot. It's a little bit different when you're at home watching Sunday message, right? You're in your PJs or your shorts and your tank top. It's different coming back with a full suit on. I shouldn't have worn a suit. Whew. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a while, right? What do we do? How do we do this? How do we strip our hearts of our self-righteousness? How do we begin to let the gospel bear witness into our hearts? What do we do? One, when we begin to have these conversations, these narratives as believers, right? One, watch your tone. Watch your tone, okay? And I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll give you this caveat, though. Even the most loving presentation that you can offer as you write it down, okay? <laughs> uh, the most loving presentation on sex ethics or racial ethics, right, or, or justice in general, no matter how loving you sound as you write it out, no matter how loving you think you sound as you write it out, you will still be accused of being hateful, bigoted, and threatening, Yes? But even so, even so, if you give an aggressive delivery, if you give an aggressive delivery, you will naturally be met with a self-defense mechanism from the other side. You guys get me? See, your aggressive, your tone betrays your self-righteousness. Your tone actually reveals your self-righteous attitude. The tone in which you begin to express yourself reveals what is it that's truly driving your heart, what is truly bearing witness to your soul. See, in my passion, I am right. Look how many exclamation points I am putting after my message that tells you how serious I am about this. In your tone, what you do is not, you're not, you're not, you're revealing the self-righteous attitude. See, Jesus' tone when he critiques you know, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, right? How did he, how did he uh, call her out? Was he, did he just get there and he said, hey, I know you. You don't have one husband. Girl, you got five. 
And the one you're with right now ain't even your husband, right? Did he, did he go in? I mean, I don't think he spoke like that, but still, you know, he, he didn't go at, at with that tone. He did what? Woman, can I have a drink from your jar? But I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. We don't relate. Give me a drink, please. May I? He invites her in. He invites her into the conversation. All right? You got to watch your tone. And this is what I mean. No matter how loving you begin to express your thoughts, your ideas, and, and, and your things, as you begin to see reaction, your natural tendency is what? What? Like, did you just call me that? Like, no, right? Your natural reaction is, I'm going to get you back, right? Let me look up 25 different datas to, you know, destroy you right now, okay? No, your reaction should be, let me pray about this. Let me bring back the gospel into my heart. Because what I'm sensing now in my soul is the rising of self-righteousness. So let me watch that. Let me bring that back into this conversation. Let me bear gospel into this that I may bear gospel back out into it. All right? Second thing, don't just teach. Be teachable. I love this thing that I, I, I heard. Most people who, are, who say that they're listening, they're not really listening. They're just waiting to what? Answer back, right? It's like, yeah, 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 but, you know, like, yeah, 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 but, yeah, 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 but, you know, so it's always that kind of conversation. And oftentimes, when you try to be truth tellers, right, the only thing you're doing is you're just telling. You're not actually even listening. We live in a post-truth age. You guys know what a post-truth age is? A post-truth age is this. If the evidence fits our paradigm, if it fits our opinion, if it fits the way we feel, then all is good. I like that evidence. Preach it. Continue. Amen, sister. Amen, brother. But if the evidence doesn't, even though it is evidence, it's deemed what? Inadmissible. It's deemed offensive. It's deemed worth canceling. Right? Our response, right, our response should not be to mute, attack, ghost, cancel. Those things, all it does is that it just reveals. It reveals your self-righteous root. It reveals, it reveals what, the, what the very thing that's driving you. And it's not the gospel. It is not the love of Jesus Christ saving a sinner like you. What it reveals is a self-righteous attitude claiming that I am somehow superior to you. Therefore, you do not deserve my time, my energy, or even my breath. When a Christian are faced with sound arguments, when you're faced with good evidence on the other side, whatever side it is, even if those arguments trigger you, even if they create an emotional strain, you ought not to avoid it or attack it. You ought to listen and engage. You know why? Because the Bible says we ought to love our God with all of our heart, with all of our strength, and all of our mind. How do you love God with all your mind? Would you kind of just kind of just push away evidence that comes contrary to what you want? And when you begin to love God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, you also do what? As you learn to listen and engage, you learn to love your neighbor as yourself. Because you're allowing the gospel to bear witness into your heart, and therefore your response begins to bear witness to the gospel to the world around you. Okay? Thirdly, something you can do. Remember, you can disagree on some things without disagreeing on everything. Okay? What I notice in, is in conversations today, is we begin the conversation, if we know where the other person stands, we begin the conversation with that person thinking the absolute worst about that person. Already. Thinking the absolute worst. Oh, you are a liberal? You are a conservative? You are a writer? You are a lefter? Right? I know exactly all the craziness about you. Right? And we write them off. You label them as hateful and oppressive. You assume that because they defer with you on one thing, they cannot be any common ground for you to engage with them on anything. It's this attitude of either you accept, either you're with me 100% or you're not with me at all, right? And you guys know, I, I think just common sense tells you that's wrong, right? I don't have to agree with everything my son does to love my son. If my son does something dumb, I'm like, that's dumb, right? Even though he thinks it's fun, that's dumb, 
Uh, don't jump off from that. It might hurt you. It's fun, Daddy. That's dumb. You don't have to agree with everything. Okay? See, our way, when, when I see believers engaging in conversations where it's either you are with me 100% or you're not with me at all, you know what that reveals? That reveals the self-righteous attitude of your heart. It reveals that the root of what's driving you is not the gospel bearing witness to your soul. It reveals that what you rather determine your worth and your value is how right you are, church. It's possible to listen to someone, to entertain their ideas without agreeing to all of their ideas, right? We can advance for two things at the same time. Loving our neighbors means we seek areas of agreement even as we don't downplay our areas of disagreement. You can do both at the same time. You can have both at the same time. It doesn't have to be all or one, all or nothing in these conversations. And you guys understand this? Let me tell you. If you allow for the gospel to bear witness into your heart, what ends up coming forth from you is a third way. It's a third way of moving forward. A way that actually brings life, a way that's sustainable to bring change, a way that can make progress moving forward. As the gospel bears witness in you, the gospel bears witness to the world around you. Do you guys believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is? Do you not believe that this message has the power to change the world? It did change the world 2,000 years ago. It's continuously trying to change the world. The only problem is it's the people who are following this message, they forget this message. And Paul is saying, go back to your why. Go back to why you do this. Go back to the gospel. Let that bear witness to your spirit and to your soul, and then live that gospel out. See, Jesus Christ, listen, guys, I know this seems impossible and hard to do, and it's even more difficult when you're dealing with people that are uh, antagonistic about this, and even when you are antagonistic about this, right, it's very difficult. That's why in all that we do, the power that drives us to do this is what? Jesus Christ. Jesus had every right to demand justice from us. Do you guys know that? That if he wanted to, 2,000 years ago, he could have came down here and administered complete justice upon this broken world and wiped everyone out. He could have. In his justice, he could have. In his fight for justice, he could have. In his worth, in his value, in his, in his right for justice, he could have. But he did not. He had every right to do what? Hurled words of condemnation upon a broken world for forgetting their God and turning to idols. He could have done that. Jesus had every right to demand 100% allegiance right now, right here. But he did not do that. What does he do instead? He gave up his right to show us a better way. He gave us up his right. He gave up his life. And in his death and in his resurrection, he created another way. A way that transforms life. A way that brings change. A way that restores Eden. A way that brings people together. 2,000 years, majority of the right and the histories of justice were fought by believers, also, can, also ignored by believers, sadly, right? But Jesus' death, life, and resurrection tells us there is another way. If you allow the gospel to speak into your heart, to bear witness to your soul, what you will recognize as it comes forth from you is another way. And that's my prayer, guys. My prayer is do that first. Let that speak to your heart first and then move forward. And I promise you, I promise you, right? This battle for justice that this world is in is God's battle. He loves justice. He's all about justice. But for the Christians, we got to recognize that justice is not just a, a moment in time here. If you're going to fight for justice, you got to fight for all justice. If you're going to fight for justice, justice needs to be your lifestyle, not just a a la carte for the moment of the day, not just a, not just a trend that's happening at the time. 
If you fight for the justice of an unborn child because you believe that killing a child off in the mother's womb is wrong, then you better fight for the life and justice of a child raising up in a place that does not help him flourish and grow. Right? You can't just fight for one justice and ignore the other justice. Justice is justice. And so my prayer is that let the gospel bear witness to your heart that you may bear the gospel to the world around you. Let's pray, church. And Father, we, we come before you this day. Lord, we repent in our hearts. One, for the words we've used to hurt our other brothers and sisters. We repent even deeper, Father God, for forgetting that we were a miracle saved by grace. That we were yours not because we earned it or because we were worth it or because we have value intrinsically somewhere. We were yours because Jesus Christ came and died for us. And so I pray, Dad, that we will come before you here this day. That we will search for that news and that truth and let it saturate into our very soul and existence. That God, that no longer will we throw stones, O oh Lord. No longer, Father God, will we lift up words of judgment, words of superiority. But God, that we will come in humility and love. May we live truly to the greatest of all the laws and commandments, to love you with all of our heart, all of our strength, and all of our mind, to love our neighbors, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So God bless TLC, bless our community, bless our people. Lord, bring transformation to our hearts, drive us with passion for the righteousness and the justice that's out there. Fill us with love, O oh Lord, that we may give and seek it out to those around us. Remind us, O oh Lord, that you are still at work. And you are going to use us. You will use us if we're willing to surrender. So we thank you, God. We praise you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Open.